Thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. Hard to believe that we've been doing this series now since the beginning of 2014 and we're landing this plane through Luke. And don't worry if you're new with us, every message is standalone and uh, you, don't, you don't have to feel like you've totally missed out and now you don't know what to do. Um, today we're jumping into Luke 22, 1 through 30. And the cool thing is we're in now this, this time that historians refer to as the passion narrative. The passion narrative is interesting because it is the, the word passion literally is derived from the word suffering, and it's Jesus' sufferings for humankind. So we just sang that, you know, nothing but the blood of Jesus song, and the reality is it, what we're reading today is Jesus sharing what it, what it really means for him to shed his blood, what it does, why somebody would even pray what John prayed, that the blood would cover our homes. What in the world is he talking about? Is it because he's wearing a Thomas jersey that makes him want blood from the enemy? What is this, right? And yes, we're glad that Thomas is back on the field for the Hawks, but that's not what he was praying about. And we'll kind of talk about that to where you can comprehend a little more what somebody would pray that for. It's Jesus' passion. It's his suffering. He ultimately becomes the sacrifice for your and my bad choices and washes over that if we ask for forgiveness. If we seek and follow Jesus, we can have our sins, the times we miss the mark, wiped clean from the slate. The big idea for today is saved people serve people. So we'll just get it out on the table. Saved people, Jesus saving us, serve people. Like we're literally moved and inspired by others and it causes action in and through us. So I'm really, really pumped to talk about something I'm really passionate about, which is serving. So let's dive into verse uh, 1 through 6 of Luke 22 first. It says, now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. This is very interesting. This is a very interesting scenario we have here. So here's this feast that was approaching. 
the chief priests are, have moved from just looking for a way to trap Jesus in his words to now they're full on, they've made a choice. They're going to kill him. Now they're looking for a way to do it. And the crowd is such that they're still afraid of them, which means the people loved Jesus and were following Jesus. And if they tried to take Jesus to kill him, they would kill the people trying to kill Jesus. So they couldn't do it. They were afraid of the people, and a crowd was always present, is what we're seeing here. So it's intriguing to me that uh, we don't know the motivation of what happened in the life of Judas. It says one of the 12. So there's these 12 disciples, apostles, if you were, that were following Jesus around. And they were learning everything for over three years. They're hanging out with Jesus, seeing the secret moments of Jesus, watching him calm storms, seeing him get away to pray and things being transformed because of his prayers, watching him cast demons out of naked dudes in graveyards. I mean, these are some good stories that we've looked at, right, that Jesus has done. And yet, he all of a sudden decides to betray the guy he gave up everything for, to follow for over three years. And I've always just, you know, in my mind thought Judas was all about the money because he's complained about the money before, you know, thinking of how much the bottle of perfume cost that was dumped on Jesus' feet. And, and you know, so he's kind of said some things about, so is it all about the money? But the interesting thing is Satan, it says Satan entered him, which sounds creepy in its own right, and, uh, and, and then he went to the chief priests, and that's when he agreed to do what he was going to do for money. So the money was either, at some point in time, Luke didn't cover the fact that the chief priests came to the disciples and said, hey, if you betray him, we'll pay you. Hey, if you betray him. Did, did they go to every disciple? And Judas is just the one that was a weak link? I, we don't know that. And so it's very intriguing to see the motivation. If we expose ourselves to evil, we're seeing like the, what could happen if Satan came into us, right? I, just all the horror movie visuals, right, that maybe you've seen. Did he, did he turn into a clown? Is that what happened? Everybody's afraid of clowns. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't know. He just, he just, his motivations started not being led by God and were led by the enemy. So here he is. He's got this really awful decision he makes, and then he's given money for it. But the money wasn't the initial motivator, supposedly. And just, that's just a side thought. You never know who could turn if their motivations change. Could be your closest, could have been, this is one of Jesus' closest associates that turns on him. So it's just very sobering to think. Breaks up thought one, though, when you consider the scenario and the scene that we're looking at. And the thought one today is we should fear God, not man. We should fear God, not man. So this serves as a healthy reminder, because we've hit on this once before, um, that if we're ever worried about what man would think, our focus is off, because we're really supposed to worry about what God would think. We're supposed to have a healthy reverence for God. That's like that, that deal of, okay, God, I'm doing, I, I want to honor you. I first, I'm first submitting to you. And 
we see these chief priests, tax, these, these teachers of the law, they're worried about the people. They in no way, shape, or form are worried about the fact that they're going to break the law by killing Jesus. They, they've come to the conclusion that it's better to disobey God than to obey God and love people. It's just it's mind-blowing that they've gotten here so that they can hold their position, their religious position of authority. And uh, that's what we need to be very afraid of is when our actions are not guided by the Holy Spirit, often we'll be afraid of people. But if our actions are guided by the Holy Spirit, we'll be stirred to love and serve people. Love and serve people. So Acts 4, 18 through 19, the book of Acts is written as well by Luke, and he records this moment where the disciples are just first like starting to share about the resurrection of Jesus. Everybody is really angry that they're preaching the resurrection of Jesus because that means that they were wrong and it was the Son of God if He rose from the dead. So they were not too happy that these guys were claiming they killed the Son of God. So they're like, shush with the resurrection of Jesus stuff. So they bring them before the Sanhedrin, which is all the rules, and Peter and John are brought here, and, and they, they say this in verse 18 of Acts 4. Then they, came, they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all the name of Jesus. They just want to pretend He never existed. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to Him? You be the judge. That couldn't have made them happy, right? Because they're like, oh, we should have listened to God. This is not going to work out well for us. Acts 5.29 again says, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. It's absolutely interesting that Luke emphasizes the fact that the crowd was favorable towards Jesus, but yet it was the very group of people that the religious rulers of that day were paranoid of because they were trying to hold their religious position. I'm going somewhere with this because this passion narrative shows us something about our culture today as well. I don't know if your Facebook social media looks like mine, but you would think the sky is falling all over social media, right? It's this, you know, oh, the world, where have we gone? Lord, come now, you know, and you're just like, you know, it's just, you know, this place is just going to hell in a handbasket. What do we do? Oh, we're afraid they're going to change the laws. What do we do? You know, there's kind of paranoia, and I, I begin to reflect on passages like this and go, wait, if we're afraid of the very people we're supposed to be loving, something's off with our motivator button. We're supposed to be stirred to love. We're supposed to be passionate for people. Jesus was so passionate, he was going to lay down his life to rescue us, the people. Jesus is not in this. He's modeling that we should have a favorable relationship with people. But a religious spirit would make us afraid of people. So I just want to say, let's, let's allow Jesus today to just kind of peel our eyes open a little bit and break our heart again for those whom he came for. In my opinion, the darker the world gets, the brighter my light is. 
And everybody deserves the same unconditional love and grace that I've received. I was given a chance. I must give everybody a chance because I was the worst of sinners. So I just look at this and I go, oh, our passion should be the people. The very ones these guys are afraid of and often the very ones people today are afraid of. And maybe you've been caught in that moment of fear. Maybe you've been caught because, because that should shift our prayer. Maybe your prayer, a good prayer for you is, Jesus, help me to see people as you see them. Help me to experience the favor of man and not the fear of man. Help me to serve and love people more boldly. Those would be great prayers if you find yourself being afraid of the world or people, whatever that means in your in your eyes. So, how many times does Jesus in his ministry, I, I just began to dwell on this, how many times does Jesus call his disciples to have a correct perspective of people? And he does it in this way. He calls his disciples and he'll say, look. Or he'll say, listen. Or he'll say, lift your eyes. Or he'll say, open your eyes. He'll say words like that. Even in the book of Revelation, as God's confronting the churches He's saying, give them, if you will have eyes that would see and ears that would hear. So we, we just, that should be a constant prayer of ours. Give us your vision, God. Not, not mine. I'm going to have prejudices. Give me your vision because you're not prejudiced towards anybody. And so if we can filter our vision through his vision, the way we do that is through prayer. That will change our vision. If we pray for him to break our hearts for people like his breaks for them, it'll mess our life up. So allow him just to go on that adventure. Allow him to do it. And this is what he'll do. I mean, you could see what he did right here in John 4, 35. Jesus has just been talking to a Samaritan woman. She has many men that she's been with. The person she's currently with was not her husband. He shares the message of the gospel with her. She goes back to a town, shares that she just met Jesus the whole town gets saved. That's who Jesus shared the gospel through. And the disciples come back, and they're astonished that he would be talking with this woman. And Jesus, in this very moment, teaches them a lesson about people. In John 4.35, he says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Well, let me show you the, the cool thing here, and I'm, I'm going to get a little teachy for a moment, right? So this is Sunday school on steroids moment, right? Is that, I've been told that my, my preaching is like Sunday school with steroids. I take that as a compliment. And uh, so for, for a moment, we need to dive in because there's something really cool here when Jesus is challenging them to open their eyes. The parallel passage in Matthew is, is 9, 36 through 37, and it says, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep, like sheep. Get that? They're like sheep. What he saw was sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So that's the same, right? Uh, he's talking about a harvest. And Jesus viewed the people as sheep. Why is that important? Because he didn't call them goats. Let me go a little deeper. 
Matthew 25, 31 through 40 says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered before Him. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdoms prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. But then the righteous will answer him, those that are on his right, the sheep, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger or invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. It goes on, but I'll spare you the time in reading it. You can read the rest of it that talks about the goats, which is just exactly the opposite of the sheep. The goats didn't serve. The goats didn't take the opportunity to bless those in prison or those needing clothes they did not clothe or those needed school supplies they did not buy them for them. I'm just kidding. That wasn't in here. I threw it in, but it's a good thought, right? The goats are those religious-spirited defenders of their position, while the sheep are those that, that would surround Jesus. They're the people. And he sees in the worst of sinners, this woman, a Samaritan at the well, he sees a sheep. He doesn't look at the worst of sinners. He doesn't look at those persecuting religious rules and laws and, and, and things. He doesn't look at people who maybe we would see as our opposition. He doesn't look at them that way. He looks at them as just those who've not chosen to follow him yet. And he needs to find a way to love them so that they can understand his heart for mankind. I love that about Jesus. He sees so positively, and I hope that I can have as optimistic a vision towards those that sometimes would just like blow up in the face of my faith, <laughs> you know? And it's like, man, I want to see people as sheep and not goats, because sometimes it's real easy to go, goat, <laughs> in our perspective. We're just like, oh, yeah, not, that, that's a goat. That's a I could eat home. I love to people watch, too, so that's really tough to not do that. And so, God, give me the right vision. We should not live in fear of man, but in love for man. We should not live to sac- uh, you know, for the, at the sacrifice of others, I guess I should say. We, we lay our lives down for others, not creating walls between the people and God. So then you start to think, well, what's the fruit of that way of living? What's the fruit of Jesus' way of living? Because Judas turned on him, you know? Judas actually turned on him before he taught that about the sheep and goats. But I have to share about the school that we're serving for uh, the school supply give. And uh, we've been asking you to, you know, bring school supplies or give towards that. And I ask you the next few weeks to give your best. Like pray what God would have you sow towards that. Because it's about, you know, if we paid retail, it's about 70, not retail. If we paid a good sale price, it's about $7,500 for all these school supplies. And we're well on our way of, ordering things and buying them and have a lot of great donations coming in. But here's the deal. I sat down this week with 
the principal of Liberty Ridge Elementary School. And, and, you know, we're just, we're dialoguing about the things that have been stirred because of our generosity. And it's, it's a lot of fun to have these lunches and, and just dialogue about the difference open life is making in a school. <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think. Um, we, were, we were eating and, and just saying, man, I remember the day it was such a huge ask for us to take that on, to take on buying 100% of the school supplies for a school. And then I remember, you know, that just gave way, though, of faith upon faith. You know, we challenged them to give more Christmas presents to the kids who needed them, and, and they did it. And it turned out that the community surrounded them and bought more than enough presents than they needed. And it's like our faith increased their faith, their faith increased our faith. And it's this, like, exchange of faith happening. And, and it's like generosity begets generosity, yet we haven't done it in a way that, like, fears the public school system because we're supposed to bless the schools right? So we're talking about the dreams of the school supply and, and how we do in that. And, and even when I'm out teaching other churches how to reproduce or start new churches, I'll share stories through the lens of like our metrics, the things we measure, like 17,000 pencils, right? That is a stinking lot of pencils, right? And they are getting 17,000 pencils from us. So I just think it's a hilarious number when people will say, well, how's your church doing? I was like, well, 17,000 pencils. <laughs> you know, I'd say, we're doing really great that we could serve our community in this way, you know, that we're like, even for just one school, 17,000, what are they going to do? Build a house out of pencil? Anyway, I, ta- I teased him about that number. That's like the pared down number. It's kind of crazy to think. So maybe uh, you missed it in the spring, but I shared a brief story so it would have been easy to miss it. In the spring, Liberty Ridge dreamt a big dream. They thought, what if we wipe away this old playground and field uh, behind the school and, um, and turn it into like a free community, like safe park and brand new field? Uh, how much would that cost? And they go out, what, what if we threw the biggest toy ever in here? And they just started dreaming these dreams. And it, it was a $300,000 dream that they came up with, right? That would have to take the course of like about three years or whatever. And so that dream, uh, we had just helped them as well last year get a grant which provides millions of dollars for after-school programming for 100 kids. And so just by filling out a form, we helped them. We didn't have to give millions. And, uh, and we get to this point where we're like 300,000, like we're already doing the school supplies. Well, how can we help this? And they're like, could you just sit on the, the team? Because honestly, we don't want to do this without open life at that table. And I was like, okay. Well, it comes to the past that all we did was make a video for them that they could put on their GoFundMe page. And uh, so we helped them film it and went out there and just challenged them to, to dream big and go after it and be tangible. And so they said, we want to raise 80000 of it by fall so we could at least have the playground in. And, and they go after the, the school and all these different agencies for additional funding. Here's what's crazy. Like a month and a half into it, they were fully funded to do the park, which we thought would take three years. And uh, it's all, they're finishing it right now. It's, it's months later. Like we're talking five months later and the field is being finished right now. Just how faith gives way to faith. And so I'm like, well, Ryan, what are the next dreams? Like what's next? And this is what blows my mind. Is when he leans across the table and he says, Dad, have you thought of having a church at Liberty Ridge Elementary School? 
How many people are going to ask Open Life to start churches in their community? The harvest is plentiful, and the workers are few. And I sat there at that lunch table at Nico Teriyaki. That's like our meeting place. Love Nico. Just a free plug. Like, don't even get residuals. And, uh, and, and with our spicy hot, that's why my tears are watering. I just remember the sriracha I poured on top. And, uh, you know, we're eating the spot. And, and I was just like, it's so amazing, God, the favor and the doors that continue to open. I'm just never, I never get tired of being asked When's Open Life coming to our pocket within the community? They know our visions to have churches in all the pockets of our region. And so they ask. And I just go, I can't wait until we have the laborers to do this. And it'll happen. And it's going to be so incredible. It's going to be an incredible adventure. And I was just like welled up with even more dreams. Man, what would it look like? to partner with the dinners that they're already doing for these hundred families that we help them fund? What would it look like if after dinners there's this opportunity for like a service in the gym? What if they just like walked right over and there was a dinner church, whether it's midweek or whatever? I don't know, just a thought, just tossing some free ideas out there. Because you know what's cool? Over the course of the last five years as we've tossed ideas out, those ideas are now coming to fruition. I'm so excited to share more with you in, in about a week or two weeks, but I'm not going to leak it out right now. So, okay, moving on. Um, I just get lost in vision. And when we say things like this, when we share, when we give opportunity for our dreams to be heard and the dreams of the community to be heard, things just come to pass. And that's what Jesus was not afraid to be adventurous in his dreams. And go out there. He wasn't afraid of the people. And the people loved him. So that's probably the way things should work out today too. People shouldn't be afraid of the church. And we shouldn't be afraid of people. We should be broken for people. Luke 22, verse 7. It's the Last Supper. It's the first communion. Listen to this. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Uh, does he, oh, is he tall? Is he short? Isn't that kind of weird? Like, that's all they give him. It's like, yeah, there'll be a man with a jar. Uh, okay. The funny thing is that actually would have been really uncommon because the women's were the one that got the water. So that's just for free little insight there. But I just thought it was funny. Follow him to the house that he enters. Kind of creepy, but they're going to do that. What are you doing? I'm just following you, dude. I don't know. Where, uh, who told you? <laughs> and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. And they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Uh, when the hour came, Jesus and his, his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, This, take this, 
and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the full fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in, uh, in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table." The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. It's like Judas is at the table and he's just calling him out. His heart must have been going, right? They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A disciple or a dispute also arose from them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. And Jesus said to them, the kings and the Gentiles, uh, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves." Who are those who have stood by, the, by me in my trials? And I confer on you a kingdom, just as the Father conferred on me, so that you may eat and drink at the table in the kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Thought number two, we should long to serve people, not just have a seat with them. Jesus is challenging his disciples. He's like, Man, he gave so much for you. And he's challenging them that. He made the ultimate act of laying down his life to serve our need for a Savior. Our need for this sacrifice as they were sacrificing a lamb, shedding its blood. No longer would that be necessary because Jesus was going to take on himself the condemnation of the world. It says in John 15, 13, greater love is no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, this festival of the unleavened bread, the Passover lamb was to be brought. It was supposed to be a firstborn sheep or goat, as it would be. Interesting, right? Depended on your financial position in the world. But it had to be spotless. Had to be pure. And that would be sacrificed, and that blood would represent the atonement, the washing of your sin. Jesus was the only one who lived a life without sin, that could find himself going to a cross and shedding his blood and having his body broken so that my sin, which makes me the most unworthy of his grace, could receive just a new life. Why would I not follow him when he would make that sacrifice for me? And not only that, he rose from the grave three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and promising me eternal life if I just choose to follow him. Listen to these passages. 1 Peter 3.18, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. 
1 John 2, 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10, This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For what I receive I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. 1 Peter 2, 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Consider today how you might be changed by these words, by this reality. Jesus is your Savior, if you'll just accept it. God did not send a condemner to this world. He sent a Savior. And today we have the opportunity to celebrate that same reality that the disciples discovered in that room that they creepy followed a guy into his house and like stalked him for his upper room. And Jesus like laid back at that table and broke bread and shared juice so that they could celebrate the price he paid. They didn't yet know it, but they were celebrating the first communion. And you have an opportunity today to take a bread that's been cut, not broken, and, uh, and you have a chance to dip it in that juice there, which is a representation of his blood. It doesn't like turn into blood, you know, <laughs> this Dracula church. And, uh, and you just, when you take that, you're, you're confessing Jesus as Lord in that action. You're celebrating his, his sacrifice in that action. And, and we're honoring God. It's a beautiful thing, communion. But maybe today, Beyond that, beyond that opportunity to follow Jesus, you're being challenged to view people differently. You need your mind just cleansed of prejudices, and you just need freed with open eyes that sees people as sheep. Jesus sees them all making it to heaven. Why do we see so many goats in our world? Why are we afraid of man? We should not be. We should love people. And maybe your opportunity is to serve others. Maybe that's the first step of opening your eyes to, to people not being goats, but being worthy of our laying ourselves down so that we can serve others as Jesus models for us. We should be known for our love. God, give us eyes that would see. And so today as we respond and as we take of the communion elements together, I'm going to believe God gives us fresh vision for people. I'm going to believe for you to choose to follow Jesus. If you have not, you've got a connection card that you can mark on the backside of saying, man, I choose to follow Jesus. We want to celebrate with you. If this is your day to make that decision for the first time. And then we want to pray with you. If you need specific prayer, we'll do that after John comes and closes us. But uh, um, I'm going to ask all of you to stand and pray with me here. It'll make it easier for you to get out and, and do communion at your own pace. They're going to sing a song. After I pray, and then you can grab the elements, take them. You don't have to wait for all of us to take it at the same time. Maybe you've experienced that in a church before. Uh, you, and then you can make your way back to your seat, and John will close out the service today. So, God, I thank you for the opportunity you give us to come into a school to rent this facility so that we can make Jesus known. God, I thank you that you stir 
schools to want churches because they've seen the benefit we've been to this community. And even just like three miles from here, they want another one. (laughs) It's crazy. But Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to hear the needs of the people and desire, just go to sleep. Maybe sometimes it should bother us that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And we should be stirred to an action like we've never dreamt before. So awaken dreams in, a, in our eyes because you give a spiritual vision for people, that we see them as sheep, that we see them as inheriting the kingdom of God. And it's our role to make Jesus known as first importance to make Jesus known to them so that they can follow you and be on the right when eternity calls. And God, I pray right now that you would just give us that holy reverence for the cross. This passion narrative that we've entered into today is the first step in you making your way to the cross for us, for our sins. You did it for us. You love us. And we have the ability to make a difference today by choosing to follow you. So I pray, God, if there are some here who've never made that decision to invite Jesus into their life, they've not prayed a prayer confessing you as Savior and a desire to learn more about you, that they would do it right now with me by confessing out loud, saying, Jesus, I choose you as Savior. I thank you for taking my place on the cross. I thank you for shedding your blood and having your body broken for me to wash me as white as snow so that I could be cleansed of my sin. I pray that God, you would give me the opportunity to follow you, to learn what it is to follow you the rest of the days of my life. God, I pray that someone made that choice right there. And Lord, as we celebrate communion together, may you be glorified, may you be honored, and may it make us realize even deeper in our spirit the price you paid for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at openlife.church. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.